0: greetings to each one here this morning it's been a wonderful blessing being here even though we're many of us are gone this morning it's been a rich blessing to be here this morning just to uh, especially with the opening and the children's lesson that just went so well with what the Lord had laid on my heart I um, brother Vernon as you were sharing there about King Asa, and in uh, there in In chapter 16, verse 12, it says to the end of the chapter that he had a disease in his feet, but he wouldn't seek the Lord, but he went only to the physicians. Did you notice that? It was just right after the verse where you didn't read or where you stopped reading. I just went on down a few verses and King Asa had this disease in his feet. And he only went to the physicians. He didn't go seek the Lord about his disease. And it's right after that, it said, and he slept with his fathers. (laughs) It didn't work out so well. The physicians could not help him. I think the Lord could have healed his feet if he'd have wanted to. Also, I want to greet you visitors. It's a blessing to have you here. But what I was going to say about that is we have a brother among us that is not well. I think we all know that Brother Laverne has been battling this thing with fluid on his lungs, and this morning when I uh, walked in, I greeted our dear brother, and he he had a little hard time breathing, and he went to sit down real soon, and I said, Brother, we need to pray for you. And I think at this time, before we go into the message, I'd just like to spend a few minutes here, or an hour if we need to, but we're going to pray for our dear brother here this morning. We're not going to be like King Asa that we just run off to the physicians and forget to pray that God would heal our brother, okay? Amen? I'm sure that it's okay to go to the physicians, and I'm sure that we have prayed, but we're going to pray again that God would touch and heal our dear brother. We need you, brother. We appreciate having you around, and we would love to have you around for years to come. But we're also yielded to God's will, whatever God has for you. But this morning, we want to pray for healing, especially for our dear brother. I'd encourage, I'm not going to ask Laverne to come up to the front. He's he's not, it's hard for him to do that. So I would encourage a few of you, brother, to go back and be with Laverne as we pray. And lay hands on him, and we'll specifically pray that God will touch our brother and heal him. And we'll just uh, take turns leading out here. You brothers back there, you can pray as you will, and a few of you others want to pray, and then I'll close. Let's stand to our feet and pray. than ...the diseases of all the earth. We know that you're able to do more than we can think or ask, and we just come asking for healing for our dear brother. We know that... All of our days are numbered. But we also know, Lord, that you're able to give us the desires of our heart. And we just, in our own hearts here, Lord, we appreciate our dear brother and sisters here. And as we're here together, and Lord, our heart's desire is that we could function as a body. And our body would not be complete if Laverne was not here. And Lord, we thank you that you've seen fit to keep him here these many years. And we just pray that you would give us... A little more time with our dear brother. Touch him and heal him and make him whole. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. I don't think there's a little child here that has not been touched with the gift of the Smarties. Every Sunday and every gathering that we are here together, uh, Sister Leora always has a, a little bag of Smarties. And I just encourage all of you children to go home as you pray. I want you to pray for our dear brother Laverne, okay? Because there, that's ultimately where the smarties come from. It's from our brother and his finances, and so uh, and their finances together. So, uh, if you enjoy the smarties, I just want you to pray for Laverne, okay? That's your assignment. <clears throat> this morning, I'd like to uh, write a few words on the board here. Of you, I guess all of you can read that. See that? I think I've spelled it right. As, uh, as the first word is godliness, and the other one is ungodly. And I would like for someone to just volunteer. Do you? Can you tell me what it means? What godliness means? Is there a simple definition in your mind of what it means to be to have godliness in your life, or what godliness really means? Anyone? It's not a trick question. Yes, brother? God-likeness. Okay. Anyone else want to take? Yes, David. Holiness. Holiness Holiness and godliness are are more like uh, synonyms. I mean, they are kind of the same. And then the word ungodly means without God or it's void of God. And there's many other meanings for godliness. You know, it's piety and, uh, and holiness and, and righteousness and all of the, the godly characters and the godly attributes of God can be summed up in the word godliness. But if you go to your Strong's Concordians, to the number G2150, and the word godliness, when it originated or back in the original Greek... It comes the word godliness comes from the from a stem word it's SEB is the stem word for godliness that's where the word godliness came from. And that SEB, actually, in the original Greek language, it meant to take a step back from someone or something and gaze at awe. In other words, you stand back and you look at it with awe and respect and reverence. That's the SEB. And then they would, and it was combined with the EU in the front of that, in which that means an abundance of or the fullness of. Do you follow that? And that Greek word became the word Esebia. And they added an EIA on it. And that word is Esebia is, or something like that. And that's what you will find if you look up the in your Strong's Concordance the word godliness. And what that really means in the original Greek, what the word godliness came from that word. And what that really means is, <clears throat> let me get my notes together here if I can find this. An awe and respect for the divine, or a full awe and respect for something divine or something great. And so even though I mean I think that's that's one form of the word, but when the word was originally or when, when it was originally translated out of the Greek, the word godliness What that really meant was, is that you would gaze at God in such a way that you would have awe and respect and honor for God. Does that make any sense? And then the word ungodly was basically, I think they changed this to a... I didn't write this down, but I think it was an A there, which is un. Instead of abundance, this means a lack of. And so, anyway, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just happened to notice that, and it was, I was really inspired with it. That the term godliness means more than just a godly type character or a godly attitude, or a, or, a godly, uh, or godly actions. What it speaks of more is a frame of mind of how we view God and our awe and respect for God. <clears throat> Just remember, kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this. And the word ungodly, if you go into the Greek dictionaries and the old dictionaries, is basically just saying denying or disobeying God. Sinful, wicked, a disregard of God, a disregard of God or immoral is ungodly. But the, the basic thought is that you can be ungodly if you just deny God. If you blank out... This reverence for this awe and reverence for God. If you just forget God, if you just get your mind on something else, or you see something and you give honor to something else for that thing instead of God, it can become ungodly to you. And remember that the word godliness. In order to have godliness in your heart, I think we should exercise ourselves into the into the very thinking pattern that we see something that is wonderful, and uh, even in creation, or even in the even if you see a cup of water, your mind should instantly go and say, "You know what? God made this. That was God." Am I making any sense here? Like this morning, I told Larry, we were talking about me sharing here this morning, and I said, you know, but sometimes I feel like, okay, I have a light bulb moment, and I see something, and it's something really inspires me, and I'm like, then I was tempted to think, yeah, you're probably the last one to see that. <laughs> I'm probably preaching to the choir here this morning. You probably knew all these things. <clears throat> But this morning is I would like to share a few thoughts here to take our mind down that down that line of thinking of the awe and the wonder of God. And do we recognize do we recognize the hand of God all around us? Do we recognize the hand of God in our lives or is it just a common thing? Or do we just kind of brush it off? Or do we actually stop and say, Oh, that is one, that must have been God. <coughs> and especially this morning as our brother was reading those accounts of those kings, like King Asa and the, and the King Saul and King David, when they kept their eyes and their focus <coughs> on God, then God was on their side. The Bible is full of accounts like that. Of people that put their focus and trust in God. And they had this proper awe and respect. For the God of creation. It's just amazing what God has, what God has done for those kind of people. And sometimes I, I'm i astounded myself of what the American people have accomplished. And most of them, you know, would recognize a little God in their life or maybe even say they're Christians. But they, their, their awe and respect for the God of heaven just doesn't seem like it's there. And they put a lot of emphasis on what they have done or the great inventions that we have made or the... Or the, uh, the great things that we have accomplished. <clears throat> There's probably not a story in the Bible that is more inspiring. Or I, I shouldn't say more inspiring. But that more clearly brings this out than the book of Job. You know, as Job was there and he had many things. And life was good for Job. And God put him through the test. And Job lost his children. He lost his camels. He lost his sheep. He lost his servants. He lost everything. And it says, yet he said, God gave, God takes away. And he kept his focus on God, knowing that it was the... And he didn't understand what this test was all about. He didn't understand what the devil was or satan was trying to do he did not understand those things but he did know one thing that his trust was securely in god and even then when those those comforters came and they they sat there for 7 days and then they started talking and then the dialogue was between job and the comforters and the comforters were trying to convince job that he was actually he must have sinned or something i mean you, Job, you must have done something wrong that God would. I mean, God don't do this to to righteous people. Come on, Job, you understand that. <clears throat> and the story goes on there around chapter forty, and and Elihu, I think is. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I should have turned to that. But the youngest of the comforters, he comes up, and he speaks last, and he kind of lets Job have it. You know, he just, just you know. Job you really yeah you just must not have it all together and then god was and 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 job made some some dialogue there and it seemed like job was kind of getting discouraged and then god comes on the scene and god reminds job look where were you when i made the earth Did, who, who, who are you, you know? I mean, can you, and he talks about this big animal that's in the ocean. And he said, can you catch him with a hook and take him home to play with your maidens? I mean, I made this creature and he's the biggest of all creatures. I mean, he has a tail like a cedar tree. He churns up the, the waters like a boiling pot. and he And God reminds Job that, look, I made this creature. I mean, you, can, you couldn't even poke spearheads into his skull. I mean, he, this is such a big creature, and I made him. I spoke this thing into creation. And the part that I want in that whole story is, when, when God was done speaking with Job, you know what Job's response was? I'm not going to say anymore. I abhor myself. I understand. I am in awe and reverence to you as the Almighty God, and I won't say a word. That was Job's response. And here he is. He's full of boils. He's lost his children. He's lost everything. But he recognizes afresh and anew that God is the the one that we stand in awe and reverence, and we can't say a word. And the part that just thrills my soul too is right after that. And then God tells the miserable comforters, look, you and all your words of wisdom, you, you weren't right. Job is my servant and Job is the one that is right. And if you want, you need to offer sacrifices for yourself and go ask this man to pray for you that you can even make it. And the reason he did that is because Job had it right, because Job, in all of his calamities and all of the bottom line, he was in awe at God, and he wouldn't even say a word. And he said, I abhor myself. In other words, I am here, and I am nothing, and you, God, are everything. And that position... God turned around and all, and, his, and Job's blessings, God poured blessing upon blessing to Job. He had twice as many camels, twice as many donkeys, twice as many sheep as he had before. And he had another ten children. And it said, and there were none in all of that country, there were none as fair as the daughters of Job. They were the most beautiful, fair, wonderful children that all of that whole country had ever seen. And it all stems back to this fact that Job recognized who God really is. And I think he had it right. He, he was able, with true godliness, to recognize and stand back in awe and wonder and gaze upon God without saying a word. <clears throat> There's a song in our Christian hymnary, it was written by Carl Boberg, Boberg, and I think he had it right. This was back in the 1800s when he wrote this song, and he says, "O oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, I see the stars. And the song goes on about the rolling thunder and the hills and the, and the majesty of all of the creation. And he's just at awe and wonder about God. I, can, I don't think I'll ever sing that song without uh, the same as I did before I read. I've, I discovered what it really means to have godliness with awe and wonder. For God <clears throat> you know it's no secret that we become like those that we admire. Do you ever think about that? Two young people come together and they fall in, and they fall, or God puts love in their heart. I don't like that term of falling in love like you can just stumble into it. But God puts a love in the hearts of two young people and they come together and they become like each other. You know why? Is because you become like the one that you admire. Your, your tastes change. Your actions change. The way you speak changes. I have a little sister. She talks just like a Whitmer now. And she never knew how to pronounce her her words like the Whitmer's did. And now she talks like a Whitmer because she admires a Whitmer. She lives with a Whitmer. She's part of a Whitmer. And she is a Whitmer now. That's what I'm talking about. You become like those that you admire. You really become like those that you stand back and gaze upon with awe and wonder. See where I'm going with this? As we gaze upon God and we we turn our hearts to awe with awe and respect and wonder to God, we will become like Him. We will, we will want to be like Him because we we respect Him with proper awe and reverence. All of us know, you know, when we got married, we now like foods that we never liked before. We drink teas that we never drank before. We drink coffee when we didn't drink coffee before. It's just the way life is. And that's a mechanism that God put in the hearts of every person. That you become like those. That you admire. And I really believe the purpose for that is so that when we turn our hearts toward God and we stand back in awe and reverence and wonder, we become like Him. We come drawing closer to Him. Isn't that beautiful how God did that? Knowing that in that same thing of affections, and that same makeup of emotions and loves in your heart, you can turn toward wicked idols. You can turn toward the things of this world, and you, you admire things of this world, and you become drawn in that direction. And you will go that direction instead of going toward God. God knew that. God knew that that possibility was there. But He also knew for those that could get a hold of this As we gaze upon him, we will become like him. We, the Bible says we, we now only can see in part really how God is. But one day we shall see him. It also says we will be like him. Right? <clears throat> I also, through my studies of Greek words and stuff, it says that most of the times that godliness is used in the New Testament, it is used in that way of the awe and reverence to God. If you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I'm going to just flip to a few of these here. I'm not going to read all of them. It <clears throat> says in verse 4, "...but refuse profane and old wives' fables." And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You know, you can read that and you say, well, we need to exercise ourselves unto, you know, doing right things. And it probably means part of that. But if you look at that, exercise, exercise thyself rather unto a stepping back and getting a good look at God with awe and reverence will make you like him. Go to verse 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. It's God. <laughs> it's our, our love and affection and respect and awe and wonder to God that will make us Chapter six verse five and six. Perverse and dispute perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. I think it's a it's a false concept in the world that if we are rich we must be godly because we have gained a lot of things and now we're godly and he said that's not even right he's saying that right here he says but godliness with contentment is great gain if you step back and get a proper look at God and keep your awe and wonder and respect for God and you're content in that that is a tremendous gain he's saying Second Timothy chapter three <clears throat> He's talking about the in verse four is it talking about traitors, heady, high minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And I think that having a form of godliness, if you, even a wicked person can do some right things, and he can act right, he can act a little pious, he can act a little loving, he can act a little kind, he can act a little holy, but he has no power. Because only the power comes when you really have a right perspective of the creator God. And we see God for who he is and we're like Job and we see who we really are and we abhor this thing that's called me and we have a a tremendous awe and reverence for the almighty God. That's where the power comes in and where the power of God can come down in our lives and he can do marvelous things through us. But it's God. It's not us. And then, in over in Second Peter, is a few more I'd like to just touch on there. Yet, Second <clears throat> Peter, verse chapter one, verse six. I'm in First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one. he's talking about there in verse 3 according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue it's because we know him and we know him because we have stepped back and taken a real look at who he really is whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and patience godliness. Somewhere in all of this, in all of our doing, in all of our whatever that we we exercise ourselves and we have to also, have a real understanding of who God is for it to ever come out right. S- some very miserable people in this world that try to go through life living living godly, trying to be godly, without having a proper concept of who God is really is and who they really are and they've not really been born again, but they're trying to put on a little godliness. Have you ever met anybody like that? And their life is miserable. It's miserable because it becomes a, a fearful thing. They're scared not to. They want to because they're scared of God, or, or they, yeah, I, don't, I can't just explain it, but we've all met people like that. And it, but when you get it right, And you really have a proper concept, and awe and reverence for God. And out of that flows these other fruits of things that God wants to see in our life. Life can be a beautiful thing, a joyful thing, an overflowing thing, and something that is contagious to those around us. When we have a deep awe and respect for God, we will want to be pleasing to him. Our life will be our desires will be to please him because we see him as he is. We live more careful. We have a more we have a more appreciation for the creation. I remember an old brother that I heard preach many years ago, one time he said, you know, he was talking about recreation. He said, everybody thinks they need a little recreation. And he said, it's too bad that most people's idea of recreation is just recreation. And he said, Re- there's, it's rec the creation. He said, they can have recreation abusing the creation. And he said, that's not right. Both admire the tree. It's a beautiful tree. And we're not going to just go cut down a hundred year old tree just for the fun of it. Even if we needed firewood, we'd we'd go find an old dead tree and we'd cut that one. We wouldn't cut just a beautiful old tree because we, we recognize that it was God that made this thing grow. It's a beautiful tree. We need to, it's okay to let it stand there. But if that tree dies, we will take dominion over it. We will cut it up for firewood. We'll cut it up for lumber. We'll do something useful with it. The tree hugger or the, or the tree worshiper will let it set there and die and rot into the ground naturally, they say. But we do have dominion over the trees. We don't go out and destroy them wholesale just for the sake of destroying them. Or even just to plant more corn maybe. But uh, there could be a place for that. If you have a tree in the middle of the field. And you need to get rid of it. That's that's okay. But, but you do it carefully. You don't just do it without thinking. You say well you know this is the tree that God made. I think God would have us to be careful with the creation. You know why? Because we have an awe and reverence. For the creator. Here a. Last weekend, we had the blessing of having my cousin in our home. He was from Mexico. They lived in Mexico for over 30 years as missionaries there. They came up for... I had an uncle that had passed away, and we had the memorial service here a week ago. And so Lowell was up, and he stayed in our home for a night. And I've always enjoyed my cousin. He seemed to be a a very sincere man. They... uh, He's just a little older than I am. I think we got married the same year. But anyway, they lived down there in Mexico. And he said a lot of the religions in Mexico, if you get out into the mountains, you get into the Indian tribes, and they're very spiritual. But they would worship the eagle, or they worship a tree, or they worship a stone, or they they have all their gods, little gods, that they worship because this eagle has spiritual powers and they wouldn't dare to shoot an eagle or, you know, certain trees that they won't cut down. It's It's just all kinds of confusion that the devil has placed in the heart of man to take something beautiful and get our attention on the beautiful and get it off of the awesome. You understand what I'm saying? And I think we need to remember that That our, our mind and focus needs to have awe and wonder for the Almighty God of heaven. It's okay to appreciate, and I think we should appreciate all of creation and be careful with it, because we have awe and wonder for the one that made it. And it's very sad. Their own daughter, one of their they had three little three little girls. Well I think one was an adopted girl and the other two were their biological children and their youngest daughter has kind of forsaken the Christian way. She is now a, uh, she works at a um, at a butterfly farm, uh, they're all natural type things. She's one of those tree worshipers now and her parents are missionaries to Mexico. And somehow they have missed it with this little girl. She is now, she is not following after God. They're, they're hoping that one day she will see the error of her ways, but she would not uh, profess to be following after God, but she is out to preserve the earth and to help people understand that we need to take care of the trees and the flowers and the butterflies and all of those things, the good things, the good things that God made but she has her focus on them and not on the God of creation. And it's very sad. Even things like a glass of water. Water is an amazing substance. God made it somewhere way back when in the Bible Bibles, it says, in the beginning, there was water on the face of the deep water you cannot destroy it I don't think we I don't think the earth is making more water. I think we still have the same water that Abraham and Isaac and Adam and Eve had in the beginning. You cannot destroy this water, but the water as it evaporates from the ocean and it goes up into the atmosphere and the rain comes down and it runs through our creeks and rivers. There's a purifying effect somehow. This water is as fresh as necessary, but it's still the same water that was created thousands of years ago. You take a glass of water, you let it, you cap it over You set it on your counter for 60 days or 60 years, it's not going to be fit to drink. It'll stink. There's something, whatever, It just don't stay fresh. But this water, even though it's the same water that God made years and years ago, it's as fresh as can be. It comes through the earth. It runs through the rocks somehow. It's amazing. This water has power in it. There's, there's, uh, there's nitrogen in this water that, can, that could run an engine if you could extract it from the water. And this, there, I could go on and on and on. There's great and marvelous things. You would die without water. Water sustains life on earth. Our crops would die and wither if there was no water. We would die and wither had we no water. And as amazing as this water is, and as much as I appreciate this water, and I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but you cannot destroy it if you tried. God would not allow you to destroy it. But as much as I appreciate this, I have an appreciation for it because I have awe and wonder to the God of heaven. <clears throat> the earth is full of things like that. All around us. The leaves, the grass, the little bugs, the big bugs, the animals, the little animals, the big animals, the little fish, the big fish. There's some amazing things that point us to the creation of God, to the almighty hand of God. And as we see those things, I think we need to just say, with godliness, I step back and I look at this God of heaven. It should create that within us all of you homeschool moms I'd like to advise you in something and we never did this for our children I always wanted to get one but I never did and if you have one let your children use them and that is a microscope for under a hundred dollars you can get a 1200 uh, 1200 power microscope on Amazon or eBay They're they're cheap there you can get them You can get foreign ones for under $25 that will magnify things 1,200 times and let your children catch bugs and, and flies and things and put them under a microscope and you can look and see how they're made on the inside. It's amazing. It is amazing. But use that as a teachable moment to teach this little boy and this little girl that this is the hand of the Almighty God and we we bow in reverence to such a creator that could create that with a spoken word. Don't just inspire your children about the beauties of nature, but use that as a tool to engrave within their soul that there was a God in heaven that one day said, let there be, and there was. That's amazing. Because we would never want any of your little children to grow up with such an appreciation for nature that they forget the God of heaven. There is that tendency. But I think we need to use these wonderful, wonderful things to instill an awe and wonder in our minds. <clears throat> That's why I entitled this message. I didn't give you the title till now. But my title is "When I an awesome wonder." O oh Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder. When we hear that thunder and we hear the, we see the lightning flashes. It would do us good to to study that thing out and and figure out really what happens when that happens. And we can explain that to our children and point them to the almighty God. May we never take for granted all those wonderful things that we see around us every day. <clears throat> I had an old friend of mine years ago. His name was Bob Dennison. He was a he was an older single man that we befriended there in, in Deer Lodge when we lived there, and we we allowed him to put his little trailer back in our woods, and he lived there for quite a few years. But he was really he was really into you know looking at the little things of nature and and just seeing the, the marvelous hand of God in that. And, and I, I kind of appreciated it back then, but I, I didn't appreciate it like I do now and like I should have. But one of his favorite things was he said, Daryl, take your finger, close your eyes, and take your finger and touch your eyelid. You remember that, Marlon? He used to say that to me a lot. He said, just, and just do that just now if you can, unless you've got glasses on. But touch your touch your eyelid with your your eyelashes with your finger. And he said, "Now tell me, did your finger feel your eyelashes or did your eyelashes feel your finger?" And which happened first? Come on, tell me. I said, "I can't tell. I can feel it both ways." He said, "That's God. God made you like that. Your brain is is so simultaneous." You can't tell, did your finger feel your eyelash first or did your eyelash feel your finger? It's amazing. Then we could talk about babies being born. Well, you know, Leon, uh, Leon and Danita had their baby the other day. It's just a marvelous gift and Brother Vernon and Sarah had their baby and there's more on the way and there's been more babies over the years, but it's a miracle. It's a miracle beyond description almost of how that a baby is formed and how it comes to life and, and how they, they are born and they, and they live and, and develop and think and become a living soul and, and a useful human being. And somehow God gave that ability to moms and dads to actually help create this life that God can reach down and put a living soul in this, little, in this little embryo, in this little life. And it can be born into this world. It's amazing. I don't think we should ever lose sight of the awe and wonder of that. Even when your little child is naughty and needs a spanking and all of those things and they, they break your best dishes and run your truck into the garage or whatever. This is a marvelous, and marvelous part of God's creation and God invested this into your hand to bring it back to him. To teach it. Teach this child what true godliness is. And to teach this child how to stand back with awe and reverence and see God for who He is. It's amazing. It's amazing. We serve a marvelous God. I'd just like to inspire us with that this morning. I think I'll uh, I'll leave it with that. May we never... Grow tired of gazing at our great and high and holy God. May God bless you.